right, good morning once again, Lifehouse fam. How's everyone doing today? So good to see everybody. Hope you're doing well. Well, it is Easter season, in case you did not know. So we have some, some exciting things coming up. First off, you saw there, we are doing a community egg hunt on March 24th. Any kids birth through fifth grade, we are going to have an egg hunt specifically for them at Todd Stadium on Warwick Boulevard, and uh, we want you, you, and we want you to, uh, to invite your friends, family, anyone that you know. If they have kids, they are more than than welcome to join us. We're actually sending out 7,500 invitations home in 10 different in 10 different elementary schools in, in Newport News. That kind of scares me. Because I'm like, if we have half of half of of half of them respond, we're gonna need sixty thousand Easter eggs, probably. So, uh, <laughs> but it's a good problem, right? We're like, hey, er <laughs> hey, everyone's welcome. Come on out. But hey, if you want to sign up your your kids or or spread the word about it, simply go to theaterchurchnn.com. You can sign up there. It's gonna be a safe, clean, and fun. And, and environment for for your children, and so everyone's welcome. Sign up; it's going to be awesome. Theaterchurchnn.com. Also, to um, also Easter Sunday, we're doing two services, eight thirty and ten o'clock, and we want you to invade your neighborhood with Lifehouse or with Easter at Lifehouse invitations, and we have made it easy for you. We've packaged door 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 hangers in groups of 50, and we would love for you today to pick up a pack of 50, and you can put out 50 door hangers in probably about, in, in probably about one hour, and it is crazy to see how many people have found and come to Lifehouse from a simple door hanger. Just in our volunteer, in our volunteer rally before service, we, we, we probably had eight to ten hands go up of people that found Lifehouse from a door hanger. It's absolutely crazy. So look, man, we want to 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 spread the word of what God is is doing at Lifehouse on Easter Sunday. So so make sure walking out, you pick up a pack of uh, fifty door uh, of uh, fifty door hangers and invade your neighborhood. Also, too, walking out, we've got we've got packs of ten inv inv invitation cards. Pick those up, give those out, waiters, waitresses, random people walking street, fitness centers, wherever you you are, pass them out. It's going to be awesome. And don't forget, we're, uh, next Sunday, we start two services. Next Sunday at, at Lifehouse, we, we don't just have a 10 o'clock. We also have an 8.30 service and 10 and 10 o'clock service. Me personally, I would go to the 831 because I'm like, you get up early, you get your Jesus time in, it gets your whole day better, and then you're gone, right? You can go in and do golfing, whatever you you want to do. So next Sunday, if you come at 10 o'clock, um, well, actually, no, yeah, if you come to 10 o'clock, then you'll, then you'll be at the 10 o'clock service. I was thinking it was going to be 1030, but that doesn't make sense. So 10, 830 and 10 o'clock. All right, got it? And then Easter Sunday is also 8.30 and, and 10 o'clock. So spread the word there. Easter season is here. It's going to be awesome. All right. So um, last week we started a brand new series called 
called what? Who is this man, right? And we talked uh, about the concept of we need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. What our church needs most is not better sermons, is not better methods, is, is not better marketing. What our church needs most at its core, I believe this, if we're going to see true revival happen, is going to be this. People need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Because if people actually see and, and actually get a fresh glimpse and picture of who Jesus is, I don't know how that can't fire them up to want to live a life passionately for Jesus. And last week, I challenged you to get Jesus out of your box. Whatever box you put Jesus in, maybe from past experiences, bad church experiences, like we all in some shape, way, shape, or form have put Jesus in a box. And for those of, of, of you that joked on me that I couldn't have lucky charms until I was 13, shame on you, okay? From, from you know, you know, during this past week, I had people coming up to me and offering me lucky charms. And, you know, they're like, look, you, you know what? You didn't have them your first 13 years. Here you go. You, you need to make up time, all right? Uh, and, and if you don't know what that actually means, check out the, the podcast from last Sunday. A box that I was personally put in is, is I was raised in a really religious home to where I couldn't eat Lucky Charms until I was 13 years old. I couldn't eat Count Dracula. And, and basically, I saw Jesus as being this person looking over my shoulder that just wanted to correct me and judge me and, and basically punish me whenever I did something wrong. And I had to get Jesus out of that box so I could see him more clearly. And we've all got a box that we put Jesus in. But check it out. You know, after we get Jesus out of whatever box we put him in, right, we kind of take him out of the box. And this is the most scary Jesus figure you will ever see. This is Buddy Jesus here. He's got a thumbs up. He's kind of going like this. You know, after you get Jesus out of the box, and, th and this box symbolizes your preconceived notions, your past experiences, your church experiences in the past, like, once you get them out of the box, what, what I see often is people then put a lid on the influence that they allow Jesus to have in their life. They basically say, Jesus, look, got you out of the box. You can kind of be in my life a little bit. Kind of, you know, yeah, I got you. You're Savior. And they kind of give them a little leeway. But what they do is they put a lid on him in the, in the amount of influence they will actually let Jesus have. Let me give you an, an example of, of, what I, of what I'm talking about here. Many people want Jesus to be their Savior, but not their Lord. They want Jesus to save them from hell. But they don't want Jesus to be in charge of their everyday life. They say this, Jesus, I will let you be in my life so you will save me from eternal torment. But at the same time, I'm not going to give you bits and pieces of my life. 
They'll say, God, I trust you to save me for eternity. But, but they cap it. They put a lid there, and they say, Jesus, but I'm not going to trust you in every, area of, uh, in every area of my life while I'm on this planet. They want a Savior, but they don't want Jesus to be Lord. They put the cap at saying, Lord, and saying, Jesus, your lid in my life is going to be Savior. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want to just save you. He wants to be Lord, too. He wants you to take the lid off. He wants you to say, look, Jesus, whatever you want to do in my life, I give you full reign and full control to do whatever you want to do. Because this is what we do as, as people, right? We compartmentalize our faith. We say, Jesus, I'll give you a little bit of my time and talent, but you ain't getting my money. Like, Jesus, I'll serve you all day. I'll be a greeter. You better get your hands off my money, Jesus. Or you'll say, Jesus, I'll give you some money, but I'm busy. I got all the money in the world to, to give you, Jesus, but I, this whole time thing, no, you can't have that. Right, so, so, we, so we end up compartmentalizing our faith, and we put a lid on what Jesus wants to do. Today, I want to challenge you to get the lid off of Jesus in your life. Why? Because the amount of influence that you allow Jesus to actually have is directly related to, to how you perceive and who you perceive Jesus to be. And some of you need to get a new perception, a fresh revelation of who Jesus is so he can fully consume all of you. And, and, and so he won't just have part of you. He would have all of you. What are some, some lids, though, we put on Jesus? Um, what I've seen in church is there are some people, mostly guys, that aren't real touchy-feely people. I don't know if, if you've seen, seen that, where it's like you have some people, they walk into church, mostly guys, and they're not moved spiritually by what they feel. They're not real touchy-feely. They don't get Holy Spirit goosebumps. Sure, if, if you've heard, there's some people, they come into worship, and they're all, like, raising their hands and waving Jesus' flag and, you know, just, just worshiping, hands up, crying. It's, it's like they just feel the presence of God so strongly, and that is kind of what drives their faith. They, they are kind of very faith-based people based, based, based on their feelings. Have you ever seen people like that? I grew up in a very Pentecostal church where, like, the whole s service was— just, and I'm yelling and screaming, and, and look, that stuff isn't, isn't bad. Like, we're not saying that your faith just has to be built on, on what you actually feel. But what I have seen, though, is, is, is people can put a lid there, but some people, what they, they actually do is they just make their faith about what they can feel instead of it actually being what you feel and what you know. Right, and guys especially, what I have seen with this is most guys don't want a faith 
that just has your emotion. Men want a faith where it's kind of, of more cerebral. And what I think a lid that we can put on is we can think Jesus didn't have a big, a, a big influence outside of Christianity. We think Jesus just kind of came and Jesus did his own Christian thing and just kind of saved a couple people. And now we're sitting here in a theater worshiping a guy that we've never seen um, just because we feel it. Here's the thing. Jesus, and, and, and this is the first lid. How do we get lids off? Number one, we got to understand Jesus' place in history. Jesus' place in history. The Christian faith goes so much far beyond what you feel. The Christian faith is, gives you a very solid theological, a, a, a very solid historical grounds for this faith. And so many people miss Jesus' influence outside of, Christ, of Christianity. I mean, have you ever wondered how in the heck we got here? Like, how in the heck we've got two, 300 people in a movie theater 2,018 years outside of when Jesus actually lived, that we're worshiping a guy that none of us have actually seen. <laughs> Welcome to Lifehouse, right? It's like, <laughs> you're like, so what are you calling me, stupid? No, I'm, I'm just saying, it's amazing how we've gotten here. It is amazing how we have gone from a guy that lived for 33 years, did three years of public ministry, and because of those 33 years and three years of public ministry, he has followers, billions and billions and billions of people that follow him just from three years of public ministry? Like, first off, that should tell you, don't put a cap on what God can do through you in any amount of time. You might say, I'm too old. No, you're not. You got three years? You could probably make a big difference. You're too young? Who cares? Like, God can do whatever God wants to do in whatever amount of time God wants to do it in. You're not too old. You are, you are not too old. You get started now and see what God can do in you and through you, but I just find it absolutely crazy. As as a guy, I thought about this, like how in the like, just like how in the world we get here. And I mean, I love Jesus. I can feel him. Like I know Jesus has died on the cross in my place and for my sins, and I feel that. But th but I kind of probably hit this point six or seven years back that I was like, I, I gotta get some kind of historical background here to say how we got here, and we can put a lid on Jesus, on Jesus in, 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 all, in our life because we can think Jesus' influence doesn't go outside of Christianity. But check, check this out. The story of the church is odd and random. Think about it. A small band of Jewish dissidents defied a superpower and religious system that had been in place for a thousand years and in the end prevailed. At the center to, to this grassroots movement, or, or originally referred to as 
the way was a Jewish carpenter whose message is centered on a kingdom that wasn't directly connected to this world. He spoke mostly in parables. If you could understand, he insisted that those who followed him love the Romans and pay those onerous taxes. He alienated the influential and the powerful. He offended practically everybody. His family thought he had lost his mind. After only three years of public ministry, he was uh, arrested, publicly humiliated, and executed. Sounds like a perfect way to start a movement that would influence billions. But it gets even stranger. After his execution, Jesus left earth and his followers claimed that he rose from the dead and that they had seen him, touched him, eaten with him. Then within weeks of this alleged resurrection, dozens and then hundreds of people within walking distance of where Jesus was buried believed this nonsense and began telling others. Before long, Jerusalem was filled to the brim with followers of the way. When resistance from both Rome and the Jewish authorities broke out, several members of the original group were executed and the followers scattered. Now, if this uprising had been like many of the previous ones or so similar, it would have passed as a mere footnote in history, but this one was different. Eyewitnesses everywhere they went, followers of Jesus insisted that God had done something unique in their generation, that actually a guy had risen from the dead. In this relatively short amount of time, this Jewish knockoff religion replaced the entire pagan pantheon of gods as the primary belief system of the Roman Empire, the same empire responsible for crucifying its central figure. The same empire that launched several vicious inquisitions with the intent of stamping it out completely. It almost seems that the story of the church is not just unexplainable, it's undeniable. Today, over a third of the world's population claims some kind of faith in Jesus. The Roman Empire is long gone. Ancient Judaism died with the destruction of, of the temple in A.D. 70. But today, one third of the world's population claims Jesus as the centerpiece of their religious experience. What was this whole movement centered, centered on? Yeah, we can, hey, man, I'll always take a clap. <laughs> but, but, but what was this whole thing centered on? It was centered on Jesus and what Jesus did, that he rose from the dead. If there's one thing that takes Christianity and makes it different from every other re- religion, it's that its founder did not just die. His, the founder, rose from death. And then you had 12, 100 disciples that said, yo, we saw this dude live, then we saw him die, and then we saw him, like, living again. Like, we've got to go tell everybody we know that this dude, what he told us when he was here, he didn't just talk, and then it didn't happen. He talked. We saw him, like, yes, get crucified, uh, had a big spear stuck in his side, and then this dude got out of the tomb and walked around and spoke about the kingdom of God to us over a period of 40 days. They were consumed with an undying passion to tell everyone they knew this Jesus dude was legit. And within the span of however many years, here we are today. Check it out, though. Even secular historians give it up for Jesus. Stephen, Stephen Neal says this. He who says Jesus also says history. H, H. G, um, H. G. Wells says this. I am, I am an historian. I am not a believer. 
But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Kenneth Scott said, 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 said this, as the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life that ever lived on this planet. These, these are people that, that aren't even Christians, that don't even believe in Jesus, but they see Jesus' influence on planet Earth. At first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office, never wrote a book, never married, never had sex, never uh, attended college, never visited a big city, and never won a poker tournament. Yet more songs have been sung to him, artwork created of him, and books written about him than anyone who has ever lived. In fact, Jesus looms so large over human history that we actually measure time by him. Our calendar is divided into years before and after his birth, noted as B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domino, meaning the year of our Lord. Even people that don't believe in Jesus see the influence that Jesus has had in history. Do you you just see this? We got to get the lid of Jesus and Christianity. Just be something that we feel. We can be firm and knowing that Christianity is built on a solid foundation of historical evidence that points to Jesus living and dying in this insane movement that we had called the church that was built on Jesus and his resurrection, of it actually happening. And we're here today worshiping in a theater 2,018 years later because of what Jesus lived, taught, he died, and rose from the dead. And I don't care if you feel Jesus, if you don't feel feel Jesus, if you're a cerebral person, if you're not. The bottom line is this. The Christian faith has a solid historical background to build on outside of just what we feel. The second thing to get the lid off of, off of Jesus in in your life is to realize what Jesus came for. To really sincerely and truly get what Jesus came for. Jesus came for all of you. Like I said earlier, we like to compartmentalize our faith, and and we can get mixed up on all of the different crazy reasons why we think Jesus came. Many people think Jesus came just to make them feel good, just to kind of be a genie to them. But, but when you actually see Jesus called people to a pretty insane commitment, Jesus said, said things like, if you follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. If you follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. He said this, if before you follow me, weigh the cost, because it's going to cost you something. Following Jesus is not just all feel good all the time. It's going to actually cost you something. But, but as you follow Jesus, there is, there is actually a trade-off. As you give yourself to him, the trade-off is you get all of him in you. As you trade you, you get him. And that's what Jesus came for. Jesus came to take up occupancy in your life. He came to tear out, rip out, evict 
you and put in, in you him. That was his goal. Christians, Christian simply means this, little Christ. Essentially saying this, the church is supposed to be made up of little Christ that make up the hands and feet of Jesus as his church. The whole purpose of this church, Lifehouse, isn't to get you to love Lifehouse. The purpose of this church is to get you to love, follow, and serve Jesus. And as all of us do that individually, we come together corporately, and we're actually the hands and feet of Jesus. You know Jesus is gone. Anyone seen Jesus? If you have, I'm jealous. Because I've never seen him. But I've seen Jesus work through people. I've seen Jesus work through churches. And what the church is called to be more than anything is Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet. As we let Jesus work in us individually, the church comes together, a bunch of separate individual Jesuses, and we come together to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we actually become the vision of an unseen God. We can't see Jesus. Jesus is gone. But do you know how people will know who this Jesus guy is that lived a couple thousand years back? Whenever the church actually lives and actually is the hands and feet of Jesus. That's how people are going to actually know. But what Jesus came for, he came for all of you. There, there's actually a, a parable spoken of in, in, Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 18. We're going to check it out says this, this is, is, uh, um, this is Jesus here teaching. He says this, a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher. He says, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? It's like, Jesus, what do I got to do to basically get to heaven? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God. You know, the, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and, and mother. He responds back, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He said, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very, very Wealthy, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This guy here came to Jesus saying, basically saying, how can I get from Jesus eternal life without giving, or with, with, with basically saying, I'm not going to give him everything. He said, God, I gave you my obedience. I obeyed the rules. I checked every box. I treated my parents well. I didn't sleep with people that I shouldn't sleep with. I did all of these good things. I deserve eternal life. Give me eternal life. But Jesus saw through that. Jesus said, I don't want your rule following. I want your heart. And Jesus, and Jesus knew his heart was ultimately set on his money. And Jesus said this, look, I know you, you think rule-keeping doesn't. I know you think following the list and being a good person, that's, that's what does it. 
But Jesus said, I just don't want your rule following. I want all of you. I want your heart. And Jesus would tell you that today. He doesn't just want you to keep rules. He doesn't want you just to kind of follow the good book. He wants your heart. If he's got your heart, he's got everything. If he's got your heart, he's got your money. He's got your time. He's got your treasure. But we miss out on who Jesus really is whenever we try to just follow a few rules. Jesus didn't come to get you to follow rules. He came to get your heart. And if he's got your heart, he's got your intentions, will, emotions, he's got your, you know, you know, Jesus said this, love God with all your what? Heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Jesus came for all of you. And whenever we compartmentalize and we only give him a piece here, a piece there, we're missing out on the life that Jesus promised. Jesus also told a parable in Matthew 7. You've probably heard it before. This is the parable of the foolish and wise builder. Jesus said, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, Jesus knows what's best. And Jesus knows that many of us build on wrong foundations, that we build on selfish ambition, we build on sexual fulfillment, we build on what feels good to to us. And Jesus knows sometimes he has to almost wreck our lives so so we can change the foundation that we build on. Some, some, Some people here, you have got to know, you, you think your life is falling apart when in reality, Jesus is trying to build, is trying to get you to build on a new foundation. Sometimes your life will be wrecked and you'll think God has forsaken you and you'll think God has given up on you and you will think stuff is this crazy when Jesus sees you've built on the wrong foundation and he knows sometimes your life has got to be wrecked so you'll see what you have been building on so then you'll start to build on the right foundation which is him. Jesus wants all of you, man. He doesn't want a piece of you, a part of, of you. Take the lid off. Give him permission into every area of your life. Because here is the trade-off. If you give all of yourself to him, he'll give all of himself to you. And that is like trading LeBron James for some 12th-stringed player, right? You're getting the best, and you're getting rid of your worst, C.S. Uh, C. Lewis said it this, this way, talking about this trade-off. He said, it would seem that, that, our, that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fat, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when ultimate, infinite joy is offered to us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I believe that is so true. We waddle in our junk and all of these things that we think will, will bring eternal and true life to us. We just kind of waddle in them thinking, if I lose this, I won't have life. I won't have purpose. When God, when Jesus is saying to you, you don't know what you're missing. I came to give you life and life abundantly. Give me you so I can give you me. Because we, Jesus can't fit into, in, in, into a life that is full of you. Many times we need to make room for Jesus. And that means we've got to get some, some stuff out. Take the lid off. Lastly, if we're going to take the lid off, we need to put Jesus at the center. You know, we, we, live, in, 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 we, we live in a time where Jesus is, in, is kind of perceived as being this, like, I don't know, add-on. Where you've got us in the middle, and you've kind of got this stuff revolving around you. And Jesus is just kind of something we just kind of throw, and he can just kind of, like, revolve around us. And we kind of use him whenever we feel like it, use him whenever it feels good, use it whenever... We really, really need something. And but if, if you see Jesus as just an, an add-on, you miss the whole purpose of him. Jesus, his whole goal, his, his whole purpose, and the way you really truly see what this following Christ thing is, is whenever you take him and you replace you of being at the center and you put Jesus there and realize that we're like, our life is supposed to revolve around him. We're not supposed, or Jesus isn't supposed to just revolve around us. And this just, and, and this just isn't something personally. This is something that's got to happen corporately also. I mean, have you seen churches that don't put Jesus at the center of their church? They start fighting about stupid crap. Like they start being about stuff that in the, in ultimately doesn't matter at, like at all. They start fighting about carpet color and worship music styles. And they start fighting about small groups and all of these stuff, honestly, that in the end doesn't matter at all. My biggest job as, as the pastor of this church is to keep Jesus at the center of it. Honestly, is to keep Jesus and what Jesus was about at the very center of this church. But I believe this. We will only see the full benefit, and that's what it truly is, of following Christ whenever we make him the center of, of our life. Many of us knock a Jesus we've never tried. Like, how many of you have actually said, I'm going to actually make Jesus the center? Like, some of us have never done that. So, to get a lid off, 
you need to take Jesus from being something that is just kind of an add-on and something that just kind of you use randomly to actually take him and, and, and being, Jesus, I'm just not going to talk about putting you first. I'm just not going to, like, no, Jesus, like, I'm for real going to take you and put you at the center of my life. And as you do that, I believe this, man. You will see life change through Christ happen. You will see life change through Christ happen. And here's the deal, man. Like, we've got to make sure we know what that word life even, even means. Because Jesus is so much more concerned about your heart than what you have. Who you are rather than what you do or what you have. Jesus defines true life as being who you are as a person. He says, who of you? And I mean, you know, Jesus, he was just straight up. He said, look. He said, you know, you, are, you worry about what you're going to eat and drink. You worry about all of these physical things. And what Jesus was saying was, is you need to worry about what actually matters. Like the kind of person that you are becoming. Because you can have so much stuff. You can have your bank account full. You can have all of, of this stuff done. But if you're falling apart on the inside, anxious, worrying, unforgiving, hating people, anger-filled, that's not the life that Jesus called, has, called, has called you to have. And so what I'm asking you to do this morning is take the lid off of the influence that you are allowing Jesus to have. Know Jesus is a solid historical foundation. Know that I got my second point. <laughs> I'm sick. Realize why Jesus came and put him at the center. We're just going to sing right now. And, and really, you don't, you don't got to stand. You just kind of sit, think, pray. If you, if you want to stand, you're more than, than, than welcome to. This is a free country. But at the same time, Mike's going to play, Andrew's going to sing, and I just want this to be a time. Whatever business you need to do with God, Whatever you need to do to take Jesus, whatever commitment you need to make inside of your own heart to say, Jesus, I want you to be the center. I want you to do that. Because Jesus wants to change your life, but it's only going to happen when we take him and make him the center.